Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. Well, in this series, we're looking at the book of James uh, over the course of several months, and we are considering what it is to live wisely, uh, that is to live well, and uh, to live right with both God and man. Uh, Today's text is James chapter 2, verses 8 through to 13. So please go ahead and open your Bibles to James 2. Find your place in verse 8. Now, when I get on a plane, I like to have the pilot tell me uh, what kind of flight to expect, Uh, whether it's going to be smooth or bumpy, whether it's going to be longer or shorter than I had expected, Uh, just so I can mentally prepare. Uh, Today, to help you to mentally prepare, we're going to be covering a lot of ground, and uh, this passage of Scripture that we're dealing with is, at points, a challenging one to unpack and explain. Now, I've prepared carefully, and I'm going to do my very best to make it as smooth as possible, but I want you to mentally prepare to do some thinking today as we look at this text. Okay? Let's pray, and we're going to look to the Word together. Father, as we come to your Word, truly we ask that you would supply your Spirit to help us to see and to help us to hear and help us to receive with humility the implanted Word, the Word of God. We pray, Lord, that this would change the way that we see you, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see all of our lives and live from this day forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read from verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Now, one of the great advantages, I think, to preaching through a book in the Bible in the way that we are in this series is that if you follow the course of the text, you end up confronted with ideas and issues that might otherwise end up unaddressed or, at the very least, seldom directly addressed. For example, this whole issue of partiality, which we've spent time on last week and, again, we spend time on today. Partiality. It certainly is addressed clearly in Scripture but it's rarely addressed in sermons. When was the last time that you heard a sermon 
specifically devoted to the issue of partiality, apart from last week, right? When was the last time I preached one? This is probably the first one I've ever preached. Now, we say, as I'm sure all Pentecostals would, that we want to be led by the Spirit in our preaching, don't we? Well, we also say that the Holy Spirit co-authored a book, right? And when he partnered with James to write this letter, one of the things that he sought to address, not just for James's audience, but also for us, was this whole issue of the sin of partiality and the danger that it might present to the social dynamic of the people of God. Now, as you saw with Pastor Wayne last week, James uh, begins this chapter in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no partiality. Other translations use a word that we might be more familiar with. Show no favoritism. James is abundantly clear here. And he's also, and I hope that you see this with me, he's also pretty bold and courageous in this confrontation. I hope that you'll get a sense of this. Because while the command to not show partiality, to not show favoritism, truly goes in each and every direction, James, I think, has chosen to be as provocative as he possibly could have been in this case study that he employs in verses 2 through to 7. Why do I say that? He probably could have illustrated the principle of this command in a way that was much less disruptive to the order and the status quo by by flipping the script and saying in verse 2 to 7, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the shabby clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the rich man, you stand over there, you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Could have said it that way. And that explains the principle quite clearly. Principle was show no partiality. That explains and illustrates the principle. But what it wouldn't have done is it wouldn't have confronted what was actually happening in the church. It wouldn't have boldly taken on the sinful power dynamic that was playing out in the church head on. So instead of being cowardly, James uh, lobs a grenade right into the middle of the church and he goes after the wealthy. And remember, this was ultimately the Spirit's work. It was the same Holy Spirit that prompted Paul to write to his young protege, Timothy, as for the rich in the church, charge them, command them. And Timothy might say, "Uh, but Paul, uh, that wealthy lady basically pays my salary with her financial contribution. Can't we just let her be? Are you sure that I should confront them? Are you sure that I should charge them and command them rather than just massage them? And affirm them. 
James's audience might say, this person is a very influential person. If, if, if I don't give him this poor man's seat, I might upset him, and if he leaves, he's going to take half the church with him, and I'll be left with chairs full of poor people who have nothing to give, and those chairs cost money, James. Well, Paul and James might say, with the endorsement of the Spirit, let the chips fall where they may. Live by principle. Live by principle. So don't miss the courage of James here. The boldness. Now here's the danger. There's a danger here for us. The danger is that we might successfully evade the confrontation of the principle because the case study is just a little bit irrelevant to us. In our context, I'd like to think there wouldn't be any expectation or suspicion that we would show any kind of partiality or preference to the rich on the basis of their riches, and that's good. But the danger here is that because the case study provided by James for his audience doesn't fit us perfectly today, we exonerate ourselves from the scrutiny of the principle. Well, I'm determined that we don't do that today. We're going to look at this text and we're going to let it confront us. So, let's start in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. God brings people into his kingdom. We are here today because we have been brought into the kingdom or we have been invited to enter into his kingdom. And it's his kingdom. He's the king. That means he gets to set the rules. And those rules are best summarized and the heart and the motive behind them are best captured in this way. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's captured uh, in the encounter that Jesus had with a lawyer over in Luke 10. You can turn with me there if you want, but Luke 10, verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Don't we want to know the answer to that? Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So a proper summary of the law accepted by Jesus is that you love God and you love your neighbor. James now adds his affirmation to this. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're doing well. Now, how are you to love your neighbor? Like you love yourself. 
How do you love yourself? I hear uh, this said all of the time. You can't love others if you don't love yourself. And I don't disagree with that. But how are we to love ourselves? You're probably not madly in love with yourself, are you? Nor should you be. You probably don't approve of everything that you do. I certainly don't. But you are concerned with your needs. You should be. So the kingdom of God is populated with people who concern themselves with the needs of others in the same way, with the same measure, with the same intensity that they concern themselves with their own needs. In the same way, with the same measure, with the same intensity, that you long for food when you're hungry, so long to feed your neighbour when he is hungry. In the same way and with the same measure, with the same intensity that you desire clothes and a nice safe place to live, so desire clothes and a nice safe place for your neighbour to live as well. In the same way, with the same measure, with the same intensity that you desire good friends for yourself, so desire to be a good friend for your neighbour. In the same way, with the same measure, with the same intensity, that you like to be welcomed into people's homes with hospitality, so welcome your neighbour into your home with hospitality. In the same way and with the same measure and with the same intensity that you like to be spoken well of, so speak well of your neighbour. Do you get it? If you do this, if you really consistently, characteristically do this, then you are doing well, James says. Now that word if does a lot of heavy lifting in verse 8, doesn't it? If. And then here comes another small word that carries a lot of weight in verse 9. But, but if you show partiality, if, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well, but if you show partiality, if you show partiality, you're not doing so well. If you show partiality, you aren't loving your neighbor as yourself. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and you're commit, you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, James here is going to go on in verses 10 and 11 to simultaneously hammer home this point about partiality. And he also has something to teach us about the law. I hope I can preach well enough that you'll see this with me as we read verses 9 through to 11. If I can find it. He says, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Okay, a lot going on here. Okay? 
For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. What does this have to teach us about the law? James says that if a person doesn't commit adultery but does commit murder, they cannot say that they have not transgressed the law because they didn't commit adultery. They can't say, I've kept enough of the law to clear the bar and earn my way into, ki- into the kingdom. Do you see that? I scored 98% on my law exam. I only failed the section on adultery, but I've done enough to pass. That's the way that many people think that the law works. And James is saying, no, no, you fail on one point, it's an F. So that's what James has to teach us about the law. It's not a grading scale where you can pass some of the sections and fail others and you get into heaven on a C+. Cs may get degrees, but they do not get you into the kingdom of God. You pass on all points or you don't pass at all. If you fail on one point, you're guilty of all of it. So that's what, that's what James has to say about the law. What does he have to say? What does this have to say about partiality? I think it has something to say about the seriousness of it. Even though James references murder and adultery here, he's applying this principle to the sin of partiality. He's saying that this point could very well be the point which you fail on, and if you do, you become guilty of all of it. It won't matter that you didn't murder. It won't matter that you didn't commit adultery. If you are guilty of the sin of partiality, then you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Now, I wanted to bring this to your attention because it's there in the text, but I also wanted to bring it to your attention because sometimes we can think about issues like uh, partiality or uh, gossip or grudge-holding as examples of relatively minor issues of sin. And we might think, uh, well, as long as I don't break any of the big ones, right? As long as I don't murder, as long as I don't commit adultery, God's just going to kind of look the other way on the smaller ones. Well, this text is bad news for you if you think that. James is not going to let you get away with that. This is a big deal. Partiality, favoritism, as is gossip, as is grudge-holding, as is whatever sin you commit and justify by telling yourself, well, it's not really one of the big ones. I'm still a pretty good person compared to all of those murderers and adulterers out there. Well, God clearly thinks about it all differently. He says, if you show partiality, you're committing sin, and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor. Whoever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. Well, what are we going to do about this then? Verse 12. 
There's no way around it. Verses 8 through to 11 are terrible news for the unbeliever. That is, for the person who does not live by faith in Jesus Christ, trusting him for the forgiveness of their sins. We spoke just a few minutes ago about the wrong way that many think about the judgment, as if it were according to some kind of grading scale where if people do more right than wrong, they are rewarded, and if people do more wrong than right, then they are punished. Many people love that idea because they think of themselves as being generally good people, right? Not murderers, not adulterers, taxpayers, little bit to charity here and there, kind to their neighbours, great people, socially, morally ruined people. So verses 9 through to 11, terrible news for them, but what about we, those of us who have abandoned that notion and have come today with an awareness that we cannot pay the debt that we owe to God on account of our sin, and we have thus trusted Jesus Christ for this forgiveness. To them, to us, James says this in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now, my first thought when I read that was, huh? Judged? I mean, the law of liberty sounds better than the alternative. But judged? I thought the whole point of giving my life to Jesus was avoiding judgment, right? Let's check it. Let's check what Paul has to say about this. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Hmm. Now here's where we're going. Just because we're saved by grace through faith, it doesn't mean that our works and our deeds are irrelevant. Our eternity, your eternity, is settled decisively by whether or not you trust and honour Jesus Christ as Lord and as the provider of the forgiveness of your sins. But there will be an appearance before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account, and it won't be inconsequential. So James says, so speak and so act. Now that you know that, and now that you're in the kingdom of God, where he's the king and he sets the rules, so speak and so act. Speak and act accordingly. Not ignorantly, accordingly. God brings people into his kingdom. It's his kingdom. Because it's his kingdom, he gets to set the rules. If you've been brought into the kingdom of God, there is a call for you to so speak and so act as those who are going to be judged under the law 
of liberty. Now, we're going to really get more into that next week as we look at verses 14 to 26. And uh, the way that we as Christians are to think about the relationship between faith and works. Do you know that um, Martin Luther hated the book of James? He called it the epistle of straw, mainly because of the way that he read verses 14 through to 26. We're going to look at that next week. Hopefully you'll get a good understanding of the relationship between faith and works and how we are to think about that. But we're just going to begin to draw to a close for this morning, glancing at verse 13. James 2 verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Really quick. The judgment for the believer will be this. Is there any evidence that this person has really, truly received Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org.